0: Okay, well, good evening, okay, open your Bible to the book of John chapter number 3 this evening, John chapter number 3, very familiar, very familiar, I'm sure indeed, um, no doubt, I'm sure some of you can recite by memory what the verses that I'll preach to you tonight, but I want to put an emphasis really on a particular subject, John's Gospel, chapter number 3. What a blessing and a privilege it is to pray knowing that we have a God who can answer I serve a God who is able to answer the petitions that I ask of Him. You know, those people in Elijah's day that were cutting themselves and jumping up and down and praising their God, they serve serve a God that couldn't answer. Modern day religion provides a God that cannot answer. The God that they offer you does not offer eternal salvation. But the God in whom I serve is able to offer you eternal life. There is a God that can answer, there is a God that can hear, and there is a God that can give. And I want to, for a brief couple of moments, preach on that thought. Now in John's Gospel, chapter number 3, we're full aware of the, the context of the, the situation. We know that Jesus is in the time, during the time of His earthly ministry. He's healing people, He's cleansing lepers, He's raising the dead. He's encountering people. He's saving people. And we know that the Lord is doing a wonderful and a mighty work. He's on His way to go to Calvary and He's fixing to be crucified. We all know that. But He, he encounters Nicodemus. And a man comes to Jesus and he begins to try to reason with Him about uh, Jesus and Nicodemus comes to him and after he knows that Jesus is doing all these things and he said we know that thou art a teacher that come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him so Nicodemus is going to talk to Jesus and he he goes and he talks to him and he, he acknowledge, Nicodemus acknowledges that, that Jesus has come from God he acknowledges that and Today, in our day, in what is called Christianity Today, people are satisfied if you just simply just acknowledge that Jesus has come from God, admit that He is doing these things, and God's got to be with Him. And if you'll acknowledge these facts based upon an intellectual profession of faith, religion will pronounce you good. Jesus, Jesus did not do that. This isn't my thought, but Jesus did not do that. Jesus just didn't say, to Nicodemus, you know, I am come from God and you're right and that's good enough for me. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And he confronts Nicodemus about his, his need for regeneration. But that's not necessarily where I want to go. But, he, but he's, he, he preaches to Nicodemus about the doctrine of the new birth. And the new birth. And it it's an essential doctrine. It's an, it's an experiential thing. You've got to experience the new birth. Even in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The new birth is something that you've got to experience. It's got to take place in your life. You can't go on in life without it. You can go on in life and not have riches. You can go on in life and not have a nice car. You can go on in life and you can have a large family. You can do all these things in life that you, that you can experience, but you've got to experience the new birth. And so, he preaches to him about the doctrine of the new birth. Now, encompassed within this doctrine is what I want to preach on tonight. What I want to preach on tonight is the love of God. Now, before I get started, I want to put an emphasis on what I'm fixing to say. I want to put an emphasis on what I'm fixing to say because a lot of people preach the love of God apart from the wrath of God. And a lot of people also preach the wrath of God apart from the love of God. You, you, can't, you can't separate the two. If you just read John 3.16 and then just shut the book, then that, that's all there would be to it. Well, God so loved the world. So that means I'm okay, right? Because God so loved the world. But you have to keep reading. It's not just John 3.16. I believe that it is definitely wrong to, to encourage the sinner in God's love, which is the remedy for the, for the problem of sin. In sending Christ, God sent Christ to be the solution for the sin problem of Adam's race. But if you leave out the condemnation that man is upon, then you negate it. And so you have to preach the love of God, but also the wrath of God. And God sent His Son into the world to redeem sinners that were underneath His wrath. So I'm familiar with the wrath of God. I I preach the wrath of God. And I just want to let you know before I start, that way don't pick me apart, both need to be preached. But whatever you fill in part-time, you you only get get in what you get in. But tonight I want to preach on the love of God. I want to ask everybody that's here in this room, Tonight, have you? Is this a personal experience for you in your life? I don't know. I don't know if it is. Is it? And I want to just—I want you to sit here and 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 receive the word. Now we we might start off kind of slow. I, I've got I've got some verses I want to cross reference. So if you got your Bible, just just make sure because I want to show you some things, okay? But I want to preach on the love of God tonight, and I want to know: Have you experienced the love of God as you sit here in the service tonight? Are you do have you experienced the new birth? And if you have experienced the new birth, what has the new birth, what has the gospel done for you in your life? Everybody's saved. There's not one person that is in the right mind that wouldn't tell you, "No, I'm not," or "No, I'm lost." I mean, any any rational person wants to go to heaven. But what I'm saying is it go, it goes deeper than just a mere intellectual acknowledgment of who Jesus was. We have seen that whenever Nicodemus in, in, encounters Him. A mere intellectual profession of faith of Jesus, just some Jesus, is satisfactory enough to get me to heaven. And that's, that is not true. So I want to preach to you about the love of God tonight. And I want to ask you if you've received the new birth, the love of God. Let's pray real quick and ask the Lord's blessings upon the service. Our Father, we do thank you for your love and your care and your grace, knowing, Lord, that we need help. We pray that you'd help us. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our feebleness of heart, our feebleness of mind. Uh, Lord, we need your help and your strength and your aid. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. Help me, Lord, tonight, Lord, to say things that would be well-pleasing unto you, not to utter things of foolishness or anything like that. i pray that you'd help these people, open up their heart and their mind, to be receptive to your truths. Thank you for your mercy. We do pray and ask these blessings in Jesus' name we do ask. Amen. Okay, so we're well familiar with what I said a minute ago, okay? And I just want to look at a couple of verses and talk about God's love tonight, okay? And I want to know if you've experienced this. Verse number 16, he says, That is the writer, for God so loved the world. Now, love is a word that can be expressed in in many different ways. There is a love that you have for your God. In Mark's Gospel, chapter number 12, verse number 30, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this is the second commandment, namely that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So there is a love that you and I are to have towards God. And I want to put this in here that we don't fulfill the great commandment by nature. Okay? So everyone's fully aware of that. We don't fulfill the great commandment by nature. We don't naturally love God the way that we should as a result of our corrupted nature. But there's a love that we, have for, we are to have for our God and also for our There's a love that we are to have for our brethren. 1 John says that we know we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Okay. Now, that's not just a verse that John just threw in there. That's a verse to test my faith, right? I mean, the faith that I, that I have, that's a verse to test it. I know I've passed from death into life because I cried upon an altar or because I said, Jesus, Jesus. I know I've passed from death into life because I love the brethren. That's a, that's a way to t- test my faith. So there's a love that we have towards God. There's a love that we have towards our brethren. There's a love that we are to have for our spouses. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. So, and the love that we have towards our brethren is not the same love that we have towards our spouse, right? I mean, there's, a, there's an intimate love that we share with our spouse that is not the same love that we share with our brethren. And uh, so, these are love... Examples of love that we express. Uh, There's a love that you have for your children. In Titus, the book of Titus, chapter number 2, verse number 4, the aged women are to teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. These are loves that we express that are one toward another. You are uh, also supposed to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. So there's love that we have towards our God, towards the brethren, towards our spouse, towards our, uh, our enemies, towards our neighbor. These are love that, that you and I express. But tonight we're talking about God's love. In the book of Ephesians chapter number 2, it says that God has a great love. That, uh, that God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. So our love that we have, we're to love God with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our strength and all that. But God in Ephesians says that God has a great love. Not only does it say that God has a great love, but it says that God has a a particular love. In the book of Romans chapter number 9 it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So God has a great love, He has a particular love, but He also has an everlasting love. In the book of Jeremiah chapter number 31 verse 3 he says, "Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love; therefore with love and kindness have I drawn thee." And if you're here sitting here tonight, it's not just it's not just this goes beyond just I got to go to church tonight. There is a God with loving kindness that has drawn you today. Specifically you today. He drew his believers. You know, the scripture says, "Forsake not the assembly of yourselves, the manner of some is but gather together so, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so we're here out of reverence and obedience and honor to our God. But there's a God that has specifically drawn you today. And by faith, you can believe that. So God has a great love, He has a particular love, He has an everlasting love. And so now, tonight, we're talking about God's love. In verse number 16, it says that for God to so love the world, now if it just stopped right there, it's just, it's just a statement. It's just saying that God loved the world. But it's not, saying, it's not an emphasis of, of, of how He loved the world. How did God love the world? He loved the world by giving His Son. He gave His only begotten Son. Now, if, if, if you're able to give something, that means that, you're able to, that you have it to give. If you don't have it, then you cannot give it. If I don't have uh, uh, $200 to put in the mission box, I don't have it to give it. I just, you just don't have it. Uh, anyways, So, but what I'm saying is, is the reason that God was able to prove His love by giving of His Son. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We're bought with a price, and since we're bought with a price, that means that it cost Him something. Well, what did it cost Him? That means that it cost Him His life. He died on Calvary to pay the sin debt for you and I on our behalf because we could not redeem ourselves. The Word of God says we're bought with a price, and that price was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ with his life on Calvary's cross. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, Galatians chapter 1, verse number 4, that he might deliver us. From this present evil world. Matter of fact, let's just turn there. Go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians. We'll turn back to John. I really want you to interact with God's word tonight. I got a, a certain tempo I'd really like to go to, but it's all right. I think it'd be good for you tonight. Look at let's look at let's look in Galatians chapter number one. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Okay. We're talking about it cost him something. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself. In verse number four it says, the apostle Paul writes, who gave himself. For our sins, not for His sins, but for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God the Father. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself. Why did He give Himself? He gave Himself for our sins to be our substitute, to be our sacrifice, to redeem you and I from a corruptible, fallen state. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that did that. Turn over to the book of Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2, I want us all to look at that. Let's make sure that we're looking at it. If someone doesn't have a Bible, let's make sure that we get them one, okay? I want us all to make sure we're looking at this, okay? Titus chapter number 2, I'm doing this for a purpose because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And a lot of times, a lot of men think it's in their ability. Maybe they'll get saved in my ability. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's interact with God's Word tonight. Let's look at Titus chapter number 2. Verse number 14, "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." So we see twice in in the Scripture that the Apostle Paul is putting the emphasis on we have been redeemed because Jesus gave Himself for us. You know there was a man that lived and gave Himself for you? You know that tonight? Can you say that tonight of a surety that you know that Jesus Christ paid your price and the sin debt that you had on Calvary's cross? Can you say that? Is He a personal God to you tonight? He's a personal God and a personal Savior, and I'm telling you that He paid for your sins on Calvary's cross. Man, thank God for that. I'm so thankful that I have a God who paid my sin debt on Calvary's cross to redeem me and to purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Is that taking place for you tonight? I'm so thankful it's taking place for me tonight. So we're talking about how he gave himself. God's love. God has a sacrificial love. God's love is sacrificial, and he gave himself for us to deliver us from this present evil world and to purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Let's turn to now Ephesians, chapter number five. Chapter number five. I'm doing this for a specific purpose. I got these wrote down, but let's just run the references because I think that'll be more beneficial for the for the crowd that we've got here tonight. Ephesians chapter number five. We're talking about how God's love is sacrificial in that it it costs him something. Ephesians five, verse number two. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us, an offering and a a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And as a result of that, in the next verse, it mentions things that that we're to put off as Christians. We're, We're to put off these things as believers as a result of the sacrifice that's been made for us. But I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily want to deal with that. I want to deal with God's love and giving Himself for us. In your spare time, you just go home and read that and look that over real good. But we're talking about how it was the Lord Jesus Christ who, who did this for us on our behalf as we turn back to the book of John, chapter number 3. And how it was the Lord Jesus that gave Himself for our sins to redeem us from this present evil world. How it was the Lord Jesus that gave Himself for us to purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. How it was the Lord Jesus that uh, uh, offered Himself without spot to God and He did that for you and I on our behalf. It was Him who did that. It was, it, it was Jesus who did that for you and I on our behalf. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter number 20, verse 28, it says that He purchased the church of God with His own blood. That means you're bought with a price. It cost him something to purchase you and I on our behalf. The Scripture said that he purchased the church of God. And I got to thinking about the sacrificial love that God had for you and I. And I began to run run references and it made me think about Ruth. You know, there was only one person that could redeem the church. There was only one person who had a satisfactory sacrifice to redeem you and I. There was only one person whose offering would be accepted by God. There was only one person who could go to the cross and die for you and I to redeem us. And you know who that was? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. It said that he purchased the church of God with his own blood. And I got, I got to thinking about redemption, the thought of redemption, and I came to Ruth. And there was only one person that can purchase Ruth. Now, there were two people available. Now, we know that in the book of Ruth, that there were two people available. But after he, everything was fine until he seen that he had to purchase Ruth. And then whenever the, 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 the individual, whenever he seen that he had to purchase Ruth, he said, I can't do it. Because if I do this, then it's going to mar my inheritance. And so Boaz, he said that I'll take Ruth, the Moabitess, to be my wife. But the other one couldn't do it because it, it would mar his inheritance. You know there was a man in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 52, that was marred more than his visage was marred, more than any man for you and I on our behalf. He wasn't afraid to go to Calvary for you and I, to purchase you and I. Do you know that? I'm so thankful tonight that I serve a God who delivered me from this present evil world. Have you been delivered tonight? Can you say that God has paid for you? You know, He paid for everybody on Calvary's cross. He is the propitiation for our sins only, not for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And I know that's for you and I that are here today. Whether you're saved or lost, Jesus paid your sin debt. In the book of Ephesians, Paul said, "...wherefore remember..." We're talking about how he purchased the church of God with his blood. "...wherefore remember in time past that ye being Gentiles in the flesh, who at that time you were called, you were called the uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, that at that time you were aliens and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, being strangers and having no hope and without God in the world." Now that's talking about Gentiles. You know, Ruth had no hope and she was without God in the world. And so there was somebody that purchased Ruth, and I'm saying that you and I tonight, if we're born again by God's grace, can draw nigh by the blood of Christ, for He has broken down the middle wall partition. Do you know that? Do you know that there was, a, there was a middle wall partition that God broke down with His blood for you? But I'm telling you what, thank God. I want to praise God tonight that He made me a wicked, sinful person able to receive His grace. Amen. And He said, in time past, when you walked according to the course of this world, In First Peter, chapter number 2, he talks about, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, received from the vain conversation from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, was manifest in these last times for you. So it, what I'm saying is, as a result of God's love and His sacrificial love, do we know that it, takes a, it, takes, it took a sinless, perfect sacrifice to redeem you and I? It took a sinless, perfect sacrifice for Jesus to go to Calvary to redeem those that could not redeem themselves. We're not not saved by our own works. We're not saved by our own effort, by our own merit. We're saved because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The payment for your eternal salvation has already been purchased on Calvary. That, that'll be one of the worst things when people end up in the pit is that knowing, the brother said it last week, that their way to heaven was already paid for. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse number 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You and I have the forgiveness of sins, and we've been redeemed by God's grace, that means the payment for the redemption is there for for you to lay hold upon the promises in God's Word. Now for those of us that are saved, we have received the payment already. And by faith, you act upon the payment that was paid for you on Calvary's cross to pay your sin debt. It's already been paid for. But by faith, you lay hold upon the precious promises of God's Word and receive Christ by faith. You know, it took, it took effort on Ruth's part. Not that she had to work for it, but whenever, I mean, Naomi was telling her that just go ahead and go back because after all, I don't have a son to raise up seed. I mean, there's, there's, you're not going to be able to have any more children. You might as well go back. What did Ruth say? She said, my God is going to be your God. Where you go, I'm going. You know, Ruth was dedicated more than most of us. Ruth was dedicated. She said, where you go, I'm going. My God is your God, and where you lodge us, I'm gonna lodge. That's where I'm going. And that's Ruth. That's what Ruth said. That's what Ruth said. She said, I'm going where you're going, Naomi. She, by faith, she sought the God that was able to supply. And she ended up in the lineage of Christ for it. We're talking about how God's love is sacrificial not only is God's love sacrificial but as we look back in verse number 16 i want to say that God's love is for whosoever now it says that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life so it's a it's a it's a whosoever will gospel it's not a gospel just for the rich it's not a gospel just for the elite it's not a gospel just for, for the poor in the world. or That means it's a whosoever will gospel. It's attainable for all of us. And I'm so glad that only people like Nicodemus aren't the people that can get saved. I mean, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus, and if there's anybody that, that had, I mean, you would look at Nicodemus and you would say, and surely he's saved. I mean, after all, he knows a whole bunch of, you know, Nicodemus knew more of the Bible than you and I do. I mean, he was a Pharisee. What I'm saying is it took work to be a Pharisee. You just didn't wake up one day and go, I'm a Pharisee. It took work. It took effort. It took labor. Religion takes effort and labor. It takes a lot of effort and labor, and you got to do this and you got to do that. But the gospel is for whosoever will. In verse number 16, whenever we look at that, or no, back up to verse number 4, I want to point out this, that he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Nicodemus preaches this, Or Jesus preaches this to Nicodemus, okay? But when we look over in the next chapter, we're talking about a whosoever will gospel. When you look over in the next chapter and you see how Jesus deals with Nicodemus and how Jesus deals with the woman at the well, he deals with them in two different ways. Jesus didn't say, he didn't say that the serpent has to be lifted up and uh, all the people are going to see the serpent because Nicodemus knew what that meant. that was was a language that Nicodemus could understand. But the woman at the well, he didn't deal with the woman at the well like that. And like I said, it's a whosoever will gospel. And when you deal with people, a lot of times people just individually deal with everybody like a Nicodemus. And if you're going to reach people and have an effect on people, you can't deal with everybody like a Nicodemus. They're not going to understand all that stuff on their level. Sometimes you've got to deal with people like the woman at the well. Jesus dealt with that woman. And I want to say this. I want to put this in here. That when Jesus dealt with that woman and, and His people came there, they're wondering, why in the world is He talking to a Samaritan? Right? And I want to say this. That, that was the prime people to get saved. Jesus dealt with that woman's sin problem. You know that woman wasn't too proud to get saved? She didn't say, you know, I don't need salvation. I, I, I'm good enough. But she came... And she received something because she, was, she knew that she needed something. And what I'm saying is if you're here tonight, you can either be like a Nicodemus and you can say, I'm not going to see that. I already know that already. Right. I, I know all that already. You're not telling me nothing. I, I know that. Or you can be like the woman at the well and you could say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm gonna, sir, give me this water that I thirst not. You know, the woman at the well was a religious woman too. She said, our father Jacob gave us this well. Are thou greater than our father Jacob? So she, she, claimed, she, she was clinging to religion, but then Jesus deals with a sin problem and says, you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. Amen. So he, he addressed the problem. And what I'm saying is, is it's a whosoever will gospel. It's not, it was not just only for Nicodemus. It was not only just for the good people in life, the, the, the good moral people, the people that are just clean cut and look real good. But it's a whosoever will gospel, whosoever will. Are you, are you one of those whosoever will people? Are you one of those whosoever will like, you know, by faith I believe what's being preached to me tonight, that when I leave here tonight, whether I'm born again or I'm unregenerate, that I can leave here tonight affected and changed. I can't tell you how many times I'd come to church and I leave unaffected and changed, and nothing takes place in my heart. I got tired of coming to church and I'm dreading to come here and nothing takes place in my heart. There's no change in my life, there's no change in my conduct. I got tired of coming to church like that. I want to change when I come to God's house. And what I'm saying, it's a whosoever will gospel, and that gospel is propagated to everybody. Man, I'm so thankful it's a whosoever will gospel. And that change can take place in people's lives. You can leave here tonight affected. Now, I'm not talking about just God manifesting himself in power. I'm just saying you don't. As, As a Christian, we have the resources to not leave like we came. Okay? Lost people don't have that. Okay? They don't don't, don't have that unless God intervenes and does that supernaturally. So as a Christian, you have the ability to not leave here like you came because you have the resources of grace available to you. Okay, it's whosoever will gospel. But I was writing this down and I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I got it right that God had a love for us whenever we were ungodly. Romans chapter number five, verse number eight says, "But in the, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While were we we were yet adulterers, while were we yet fornicators, while we were yet blasphemers, uh, while we were doing these things, that means Christ died for us." Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord that he hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry what? Who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, which faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, the Apostle Paul said who before was a blasphemer. What I'm telling us is that God had a love for us while we were yet ungodly. I'm telling you what, man. To know that somebody died for me. I'm glad that Jesus just didn't look at me and say, you know what? I can't save him. He's too defiled. He's done too much. He's too wicked. I can't save him. But the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant by faith. Man, that's applied to me in my life, y'all. Man, I'm telling you, I, 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 is, this, is, this, is this real? I mean, is this, is this, is this real in our hearts, man, that, that Jesus died for me? That He shed His blood on Calvary for me? Is this real? Man, I just we don't have to leave here unaffected is what I'm saying. Anyways, I'm going to keep going. But he had a love for us, whatever we are God. Isaiah 53, it says that He hath he, he borne our sins. Our iniquities, our sorrows, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. He, he did that for you and I on our behalf. It's a whosoever will gospel. And I'm thankful for that. Now I want to say this, that Christ also, as a result of it being a whosoever will gospel, He is our propitiation. Romans chapter number 3, verse number 25 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That means propitiation. That means the appeasement of wrath, the appeasement of God's wrath. God's wrath towards us was appeased when Christ died for us on Calvary. When that one who bore your sorrow, when that one who bore your iniquities, Man, I'm telling you what, when the one that that He bore our sickness, our pain, our sorrow, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. I'm telling you what, I serve a mighty God who delivered me from the bondage of this world, and I praise His holy name tonight. Amen. Thank God. I'm so thankful that I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And you can have that tonight too. Man, praise God. But I want to say this, it's a whosoever will gospel, but but it's it's not a whosoever will. It's, it's, it's a whosoever will gospel, but it's not a whosoever will. You don't, you don't get saved just any time you want to. Well, here I am, Lord, just save me. Just sa- save me on my terms. God, we operate on God's terms. The book of John, chapter number 6, verse number 44, it says that no man can come unto me except my Father which has sent me draw him. It's a whosoever will gospel, but not a whensoever will. Just in our day and our time, let me just bring it real, real, just real close, okay? In our day and our time, we're not living in the book of Acts, okay? We're not living in the book of Acts. So you, by faith, have to sit under the preaching of the gospel. You, you You can't bypass that. You can't bypass that process or that step. You've got to sit underneath the preaching of the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And you have to sit under the preaching of God's Word and let faith begin in you, which God has to give you faith and grant you repentance. It's a whosoever will gospel, but not a whosoever will. I was thinking about Saul Tarsus and Saul in the book of Acts. He didn't get saved just turning over a new leaf or whenever he wanted to. But God struck him down on the road to Damascus and shined that bright light. And he said, Lord, what will I have me to do? What I'm saying is, it's a whosoever will gospel, but not a whosoever will. Jesus didn't leave it up to the woman at the well to decide whether or not when she wanted to be saved. He, he just said, go call your husband. Here's this water. I'll bring it to you. Okay, as we keep going, let's look in verse number 17, okay? So we're talking about God's love and how it's sacrificial and that he gave his son. And it's whosoever will gospel, okay? Almost done. It's not going to take too much more longer. Verse number 17, it says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. So God sent His Son into the world to save you and I. God's love, not only is God's love sacrificial, God's love is for whosoever, but God, His love was manifested in sending Christ. God's love was manifested in sending Christ. God sent His Son into the world so people could be saved, so you and I could be saved. Galatians chapter number 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a, born of a woman, made of, made of a woman, made of the law, to redeem them that were under the law. You and I were under the curse of the law. Now it's not that the problem was the law. The problem is the sinner's inability in their nature to keep the just demands that God requires on them. If you read over there in the book of Hebrews, real close, it says that He finding fault with them, not with God's holy law. You read over there real close in Hebrews. You can look that up tonight. It says that he finding fault with them is the reason why. Now, but we're talking about his love was manifested and that he sent his son into the world. Let's look at Romans chapter number 8. Let's travel to Romans chapter number 8. As we keep going, I want to just show us this. It'd be good for us to run references. That's okay. Romans chapter number 8. Okay. Okay. Verse number 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son, we're talking about God's love was manifested in sending Christ, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Now, why did that take place? Verse number 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, that you and I, believers in Christ, who walk not of the flesh but through the Spirit. So God's love was manifested toward us in sending Christ. Let's go to 1 John chapter number 4. I'll just run these references. i committed them to memory, but I think it would be more beneficial if we just run some references. I really want to be sensitive, and I really, I really feel like that would be more beneficial for us tonight. 1 John chapter number 4. We're talking about how God's love was manifested toward us. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His Son into the world, His only begotten Son of the world, that we might live through Him. Verse number 10. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Isn't that good? Isn't that good that God sent His Son into the world to be a propitiation for our sins? The appeasement of wrath, He did that for you and I. Now, by faith, we receive the Word, and we believe by faith God's Word concerning us. And He sent His Son into the world to be our propitiation. Now, I was thinking about that, and I wrote it down. I want to get it right, but He sent His Son to be our propitiation, our justification, our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 30. That's for you and I on our behalf. I want to make three more comments about God's love, and then I'll be done. First, I want to say that it is a personal love. God's love is a personal love. It's, It's given to you and I individually, personally. And in the book of Romans, Paul talks about as a result of Christ being raised, we're justified by faith. And as a result of our being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, in the next verse, it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So presently, we, are, we have access by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God that's taken place for us on our behalf. The transaction's already been done on Calvary that Christ did for us. But it says that not only so, I'm talking about a personal love. going me get to it here in a minute. I'm still traveling down through Romans. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation work in patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope right here maketh not ashamed because it's a personal love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. It's a personal love. God's love is a personal love. When we get born again, we receive His Spirit. We receive the Spirit of God and it lets us know that these truths of God's Word are real to our hearts. The reason why the reason why the Bible is boring to an unsaved person is because it's not it's not a living word to them. It just it just it there there's no satisfaction in reading. You pick it up and you get you get to Genesis chapter number, you know, you get to Genesis 14 and after that you're done. You can't go any further. Or either that or you go to the book of Revelation. Every lost person can finish the book of Revelation. But they can't finish Genesis. And what I'm saying is, is when, God, when God saves you, He puts a love and a hunger and a desire in your heart to read His Word. There is a problem and an issue with someone who professes faith in Christ and does not desire to read God's Word. Just flat out, total period. There's a problem there. The first thing we do when we get saved is we desire the sincere milk of the Word. There's, there's, nothing, there's no another way around that. We're talking about God's love manifested in sending Christ. Okay, So it's a personal love. Not only that, but for alliteration's sake, I added in there, it's a paternal love. It's it's not only a personal love, but it's a paternal love. In the book of 1 John, chapter number 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, presently, are we the sons of God. And if sons, we know not what we shall be, but we know when He shall appear, we shall see Him like He is. That's a promise for you and I that are children of God that we're going to be like Him. Isn't that great that we're going to be like Him? Isn't that a joy? Man, I'm so thankful for that. Not only is it a personal love and a paternal love, but it's a perpetual love. It's never ceasing. It's never ending. It always continues forever. I was thinking about that in our love, in God's love that He has for us. In the book of Romans, for those of us that are saved, we, in Romans chapter number 8, it talks about what shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of those things, none of the... Let's just go there and read it. This is good assurance for us. It's okay. It's okay to read it. Let's go to Romans chapter number 9, or chapter number 8. We're talking about God's love and how it is a perpetual love. Romans chapter number 8. Let's just read it. It would be good for us to look at our Bibles tonight. Okay. Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number 31. What shall we say to these things, the things mentioned before? If God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son. We covered that a little bit ago, how he gave his son. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that gave himself for us. But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us, who who also maketh intercession for us, right here, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sore? Verse number 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Nay, and all these things mentioned before. These are, this is, this is, y'all, this is for us. Man, this is for us. This is, this is, this is personal for us. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Man, whenever I read verses like that, I get so encouraged. Man, how in the world could I ever be, walk around discouraged or defeated whenever God says this about me? I'm a believer in Christ. I'm, I'm a more than a conqueror than Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love. There it is, the love of God, which is where? Where's the love of God at? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a personal love, a paternal love, and a perpetual love, never ceasing. There's nothing that's going to make it not be there. I'm always going to love my son. Now, he might do things that might have caused me to discipline him, and I might tear him up, but I'm always going to love him. I'm thankful to God for that. So I was thinking about that and meditating upon God's love and writing down some thoughts. Listen, I want to just encourage us tonight. For saint and sinner alike, we don't have to leave here unaffected. I firmly believe this that we come into church and we we'll leave the same way we came, and it just just defeated. Just defeated. No victory, no rejoicing, no happiness, no joy. Just defeated. But God gives us resources. You and I have the tools and the ability to leave unaffected and chained. You know, we have that ability. So I was thinking about the love of God, and it was a blessing to me. It was a blessing to me, and I purposely, I purposely slowed down. I wanted to slow down so we could look at it, we could read it. It's better, it's better for you to read something and digest it than to just try to eat it all in one bite and not swallow anything. That way you can get your nutrients. So I was thinking about the love of God and meditating on that and praying over it, okay? What a joy that's been, okay? Now, I'm done with the service. But... on to somebody, man. Call somebody over. Call, call, call a wicked, lost sinner over and cook them a good dinner. Make them a cake. Send them home. Do something. Invest in somebody's life, man. You know what I'm saying? Do something for somebody. Don't just, don't just. Tell, they've heard about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus your whole life. Don't just. Say, well, is Jesus died on Calvary, and that's true. But invest in somebody's life, man. That's your mission field. Your your mission field is where you work at. The people that you talk to the impact that you have in your life.